You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. We're going to be spending some time in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, please open them with me. Uh, we will also have the text on the screen for us this morning. And before I, I go ahead and, and read the text, I would like to take some time to, to, do, to pray. And I want to do two things while I pray. The first one is I want to thank God because this week our church welcomed another member. If you don't know this, our church grows by births. Um, <laughs> This is how we reproduce ourselves. We're having a lot of kids in the summer. And uh, this past week, we received or we welcomed uh, James Daniel Gates. Uh, so we want to celebrate that. Uh, he's doing great, according to the family. And uh, uh, Andrew and Rebecca are trying to sleep as much as they can. So I want to pray for that. And I also want to pray for uh, Lars. His dad is in the hospital this morning. So he's on his way to New York, and we want to uh, take some time to pray for him as well. So let me go ahead and pray. Dear God, thank you for the blessing that we have in meeting uh, every Sunday. Thank you because we can do it freely, and we can benefit from it, from each other, from your word, from serving you. Um, and Lord, I want to ask you that today you would speak to us through uh, the preaching of your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit will open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, uh, and transform us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be challenged by your word, but that we will also be encouraged by it and, and uh, get joy and hope from it. And Lord, I want to thank you for uh, James Daniel uh, that um, you sent to us, to our church, to our body, uh, to the Gates family this week, and I pray that you would bless uh, Andrew and Rebecca with plenty of rest. Uh, I pray for health and uh, flourishment in this family. In the name of Jesus, I also want to pray for Lars and his dad as he drives up. I pray that you would give him peace and, and that he would have a sweet time uh, depending on you and reaching out to you. And I pray for a healing uh, upon uh, Lars' father, I pray that whatever he is going through, you would be with him, you would uh, keep him, and that they will find out what the problem is and, and be able to uh, do the right thing so that he can be back 100% with his family. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So uh, the elders and the transition team have been uh, planning this day, uh, service, ser service Sunday, and uh, we would like to learn a little bit of what the Bible teaches when it comes to uh, why we serve, how we should serve, uh, and uh, we chose, or I chose, uh, the, the text of 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11, and I will go ahead and read it. And it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles from God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Through him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the letter of the Apostle Peter uh, is uh, a letter that was intended for the persecuted Christians or the exiled Christians that were dispersed through the known world. And you can read about this dispersion in Acts chapter 8 or Acts chapter 11. And uh, Peter uh, uh, addresses all these people who are experiencing persecution and difficulties. And 1 Peter 1 verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is the opening of this letter, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So these are Christians, maybe most of them were Jews that at one point were in Jerusalem and they were exiled. And the interesting thing is that these people started churches in all these areas. And Peter writes to them. This is Peter, the apostle, the disciple, uh, the one that walked on water with Jesus for a little bit, the one who denied Jesus, uh, the one who cut off the ear of the, one of the servants of the, uh, the army. This is Peter writing to these to this exiles. And the, the church that he's writing to is a suffering, a suffering church. So he's calling for them to get together, to work together, to, to uh, pursue the preaching of the word and the, the preaching of the gospel. But he gives them some uh, sp specific commands on how they should behave in the church. So we will be very blessed in listening to what he has to say to these this churches and apply them to ourselves. So the first thing I want to I wanna highlight, and this is what Peter says, is he reminds them that Jesus is coming. So my first point is, is very simple. Jesus is coming back for us very soon. In fact, in verse 7, Peter says, The end of all things is at hand. It's coming. Therefore, so because of that, we should be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. And then he continues to talk about how this looks. He's going to call us to love each other, to serve each other. But the basis of everything that uh, Peter is saying is that Jesus is coming back very soon. And this is important because this is the motivator for all of us as Christians. One of the motivators for, for all of us as, as Christians is that Jesus is coming for us. This is something we need to remember. This is our hope as Christians. This is our joy as Christians. This is something we need to look forward to. Justo Gonzalez, uh, a Cuban-American uh, theologian, says that the Christian memory doesn't only work in one direction. Our memory doesn't only work backwards, but it rather works looking back as much as it, looks, as it works looking forward. He calls us to remember the future. That's what Justo Gonzalez says, and this is, this is what he says. There is a dimension of Christian hope that goes beyond anything on this earth. That dimension is hope as a remembrance of the future, as bringing the future to mind. In this dimension, there is nothing questionable about hope. What we hope for in the future, the future which we remember, is as certain as the past we also remember. And just as in the way the past cannot be changed, so this future cannot be changed. This is the future to which we belong. 
if you are a believer, if you have put your faith in Christ, this is something that we should constantly remember, our future. This is what Paul is doing as well. He's reminding us that Jesus is coming soon and that we can be certain of this and that this should bring us joy and motivate us to do things for each other and for God himself as well. So think about this. The end is at hand. Jesus will come back for us and we will go to our eternal perfect home forever with him. This should bring hope and joy to us. This is the base that what Peter is going to say. If I say Paul one time, please forgive me. Most of the letters in the New Testament are from Paul, and I'm so used to saying Paul is saying this, and now that it's Peter, it's just really hard, and they both start with P, so please forgive me if I say Paul instead of Peter. Um, Peter doesn't only say this the first time, uh, for the first time in this text. He actually said it in the beginning of the letter. Uh, and every time Peter reminds us that Jesus is coming, and this is very interesting, he utilizes the second coming of Jesus as a motivator to, to action. If you read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So every time Peter makes a reference to the second coming of Jesus, it is used as a motivator for us to act. And in this text, 1 Peter 4, 7, he is motivating us to love each other. So I want to make sure that we understand this. Jesus is coming back, and out of that joy, out of that expectation, out of that sense of urgency that he's coming back, we should be moved to, and he says, to pray to be sober-minded, and to be self-controlled or disciplined in our prayers. Uh, the ESV says, for the sake of our prayers. But other translations in Spanish, it actually says, for your prayers. So you should apply this diligence, this self-control, this sober-minded to your prayers. And as the time comes, as the time draws near when Jesus will come, we should draw near to God in prayer as well. And this is the first thing we need to do as a church. We need to make prayer our priority. Why? Because Jesus is coming. But then, what I want to focus on today is that out of this joy of our future that we remember, we should also love one another earnestly. And that's what, Paul, that's what Peter says today. He says that we should, above all, Love one another earnestly. So loving each other should also come out of our understanding that Jesus is coming back. As we get closer to that day when Jesus comes back, we should cling to each other. We should love each other. We should be able to prioritize each other. We should have each other's best interest in mind and as a, prior, a priority. Why? And he says it because love covers a multitude of sins. We are going to be able to work together and serve each other if we love each other because love is the best way that we can cover each other's sins. If you've been in the church for, 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 a, lot, for a long time or just a few months or years, you have already noticed that even in the church, there's a lot of sin. And 
people in the church have sin issues. Some of us are hard to deal with. That's me. Some of us are, uh, have, are very opinionated, right? Some of us have very specific ways in which we like things. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they like their place. They like their chair. They like to be always in the same place, and that is just kind of annoying to me. And I don't know why, but I just don't like it. There's people who like it. There's people who like the early service. There's people who don't like early services. And we all get in each other's nerves constantly. We don't see eye to eye on many different issues. Not even talking about theological issues. I'm talking about smaller issues. But Peter is calling us to love each other earnestly above everything out of the joy that comes by reminding us or remembering that Jesus is coming back because love, loving each other covers a multitude of sin. So I would like to say that loving each other earnestly should be a mark of the church. Loving each other earnestly in light of Jesus coming back should be a mark of the church. In fact, this is something that Jesus told us before he left in John 13. He told us that this, loving each other, is going to also be the biggest witness we have in a skeptic world. John 13, verse 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As a church, I believe that we can have a very specific vision we can rally behind serving. We can just call everybody to serve and, and display our needs and probably give you a graph of how many people we need and how many people uh, uh, we are aiming to get and our needs and our finances and all these things. And we can sort of manipulate you into serving or loving each other. But the reality is that this is what actually means to be a believer, is to love each other, is to act based on love. And that's what I want to call all of us to do, is to serve each other, to, to come to church, to, to give financially, to, to be into each other's lives, to confront each other, to encourage each other out of love, out of, I really care for you. I really want the best for you. Because this is what everyone will, everyone will notice in a skeptic society. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. This is exactly what Jesus did. He fed, he fed us. He helped us. He healed us. He was patient with us. So as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we should do the same. We should do it earnestly, intentionally, emphatically, sacrificially. And this is something that has always stood out as a mark of a church. According to René Padilla, uh, 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 Peruvian theologian, he says that there is historical testimony that this solidarity and mutual support in the Christian community was one of the factors that impacted pagan society and enabled the growth of the church in the first century. One of the most radical things that churches did in the first century and throughout history is they loved each other really well. And they loved each other across cultures, across uh, uh, 
societal boundaries, they loved each other. And this impacted the world. In the, in the first century, people could not believe that a, a, um, a Hellenist, uh, a Greek, was hanging out in the same place with a Jew. And that they were loving each other, and they were selling each other's possessions and giving them to everybody. That was outrageous. So loving one another earnestly will impact the people around us. Loving our brothers and sisters who are sitting next to us is powerful. It's a witness to the world around us. And this will give us credibility as a church. And I think we need to do a better job in not just doing things, but truly loving each other. Do we really have the interest of the other person in mind? Or are we just checking off a box? If loving each other is a powerful testimony to society, the opposite is also true. Not loving each other damages our reputation outside. And in fact, I believe this is happening. There is a, 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 a missiologist, a Korean theologian that I, I, I love reading. His name is Soong Chan Ra. And he actually says that Christians are leaving the church in droves because they are seeing a church that has preached a certain message but have not lived that certain message. They have proclaimed it but not demonstrated it. So what it's at stake today is the gospel itself. We have clung to the truths of Scripture and proclaimed them with vigor and energy, but we have not lived them. Peter and Jesus and Paul and all the authors of Scripture command us, motivate us to love one another. And today, I would like to invite us to do the same. Let's, in light of Jesus' return, love each other genuinely, earnestly, emphatically, intentionally, sacrificially, because our love for each other covers multitudes of sin. But let me ask you, and Paul and Peter, I'm sorry, goes to this. What is the best way to show somebody that you love them? And I would say serving the other person or serving one another. We must serve one another. Peter says, show, show hospitality to one another. If you speak, speak as you speak from God. If you serve, serve with the strength that God supplies. This is not an extensive list, but Peter is giving us a general invitation to show our love through service, through serving each other. We can say that we can serve others without love. It is, it is possible to serve people without love, but it is impossible to love people without serving them. Let me say that again. It is possible for us to serve without love. And I've been in church and I've done it enough times. I just show up because I want people to see me and I want to make sure that people praise how I do things. And sometimes we serve out of selfish reasons. But the call is not just to serve. The call is to love people first because if you love somebody, then the serving will automatically come. We can serve others without love, but we cannot love others without serving them. And this is true in every relationship you have. If you say you love somebody, you're going to serve them. That's how it is. And if you are a parent, it's even more 
uh, noticeable in this relationship. We serve our kids all the time. We sacrifice our needs for the sake of our children all the time. If you're married, you can, you can see that as well. You, you have to sacrifice your, your, your wants, your, uh, your needs for the sake of your husband or your wife. And if you are in a relationship with a family member, you do this with your parents or with your, with your siblings or you do it at work. Maybe not at work so much. But there is no better way to love someone than to serve them sacrificially. Peter, uh, Paul says it to the church in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 6, he says, And let us not grow, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we don't give up. But listen to what Paul says. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So if we're going to love anybody, or if we're going to do good to somebody, we should especially do it for those within our church, within our body, within our family. And Peter encourages to do the same. In fact, in verse 10, he says, As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And this implies that everyone here has a gift to offer. God has given everybody gifts. He actually continues to say that we should use these gifts as good stewards of God's varied grace. So meaning, we all have a grace. What does that mean? We all have a unique, unmerited gift from God to others. This gift that we have been giving is not only for our benefit, even though it is, it's also for others as well. So if you're sitting here, if you're listening to me, God has given you a gift to offer to others. And we are to to be good stewards of this grace. So a good steward of God's grace is someone who gives these gifts to the people next to them to the people in their community, to the people in their family, to the people in their church. Another way to see this, or what Peter is is, is trying to get at, is to say that, in a way, we are all gifts to one another. God has given all of us gifts through each other, and we are gifts to each other. We're gifts because we've all been giving a gift, And God wants us to be blessed by what he's given to others. So if you want to think of this, or if you want to think of yourself, think of yourself as a gift bag or a gift box. You are a walking gift box with something inside of you that is not just for you. It's for all of us. And within that box or gift or, or bag or whatever you want to be, God has placed many gifts, many talents for the people sitting next to you. Paul uses an, a, another analogy in this, and he actually, in 1 Corinthians 12, says that we are like members of a body. We are gifts to each other like members of a body. Like, like the hand is a gift to the eye sometimes when something is bothering it. 
or like the legs are a gift to the rest of the body because they transport us to places, in the same way, we are gifts to each other. And our gifts are different. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The purpose of the gifts that we have are the blessing of others. And then he continues the analogy of the body and says that maybe some of us are hands, maybe some of us are feet, maybe some of us are eyes, maybe some of us, I don't know. We can be all kinds of things. And he then says there are no levels. It's not that one of us are more important than the others. And then he says at the end of that chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, 24 to 27, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And then Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So this is a good analogy because we all need each other. We all need the people that we might not like, right? There are parts of our body that maybe don't touch and they don't even like each other. But they are part of the same body. And they have very different functions and very different smells and very different textures and very different uh, uh, ways and shapes. But they're all part of the same body. And this is awesome. Because we all need each other. We can work together in love. I need people that think different from me. I need people that work different from me. I need people to challenge me. I need people to work with me in, in ways that I never liked working with or, or in that way specifically. I need you. I need your gifts. I need your talents. Because all of you are gifts to each other. All of you are gifts to our church. So, there is no better way to love someone than to serve them sacrificially. We have the blessing of loving each other by serving each other in the church. And this doesn't stop. My, my focus today is for ourselves, for the church. But this doesn't stop here. This continues to blessing our city. There is no way we can say we love our city, we love our community, and we don't serve them. This will eventually come to serving our community. And th the reason why we serve each other in the church is so that we can be empowered and strengthened so that we can later then move on and bless our city, bless our communities. And the Christian life is, a, is, is the life that is marked by service. This is what Jesus said to us in Matthew 20. He said, Jesus called him to him and said, he's talking to his disciples, and, and he says, you know how the kings of the nations show their power to the people. Important leaders use their power over people. It, not, it must not be that way with you. But whoever wants to be great among you, let him care for you. Whoever wants to be first among you, let him be your servant. And then he gives us a perfect example. For the Son of Man came to, to not be cared for. He came to care for others. He came to give his life so that many could be bought by his blood and made free from the punishment of sin. 
Why should we love each other and be servants of each other? Because our Lord Jesus did it for, for us. Jesus didn't just say that he loved us. He demonstrated it. He gave himself up for us. God so loved the world that he said no, that he gave his only son, that he sacrificed something for us. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he sent his son to die for us. As a church, as people, we are to reproduce this, respond in the same way that the gospel responds to us in action. God loved us, and he sent his son. Jesus died for our sins. We were dead in our trespasses. We were far away from home, from Jesus. We were walking away towards eternal damnation, and God came to our rescue by sending his son, dying on the cross, bringing us back, punishing himself on the cross, cleansing us through his blood, defeating death, resurrecting on the third day, and giving us eternal life for free by grace. He has covered millions of sins. He covered multitudes of sin. The love of Jesus covered everybody's sins. Anyone who believes in him, his sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And this is the same calling for all of us today. And if you're not a believer here and you're listening to this, I want to tell you that Jesus has actively seek or sought you out. He wants you. He loves you. And he is asking you to come to him and give you eternal life for free by grace without you doing anything. You don't need to fix your life to come and be a Christian. You don't need to be a, a moral good person to be a Christian. That is not what the Bible says. In fact, if you are an immoral sinner who needs help, that is a perfect description for somebody to come to Jesus. This is who we are. This is what Christians are. Are people who are imperfect, who have tons of issues, but we are just desperate for help, and we're reaching out to Jesus and saying, save me. And sometimes we're doing this every single day. And if you find yourself in that situation, come to Jesus. He loves you. He has given his life for you. And he wants you to spend eternity with him and give you peace and joy. So how do, what do we do with this? I want to finish by encouraging us all. Because I want to tell you, we should be thankful that God has placed each one of us here. There is so many people that are so gifted in this church and we are all gifts to each other. I am, I am just so excited to see all the gifts and talents. And, and, and the more I interact with you, I realize, man, all, a lot of these people have like some Im impressive gifts. And those gifts are for each other. If you are here in this church and you have a gift or a talent, God has placed you here for a purpose. It is not a coincidence that whatever gift you have, you have it here right now in this church with us. You are a valuable member of this body, and I want to say we need you. You are a gift from God to all of us here, and we're happy that you're here. You are needed here, and I can't wait to see all of us flourish in our gifts and talents.
But in the same way, you have to remember, remember we need each other. You need the person sitting next to you. God has a purpose for each one of us. God has a purpose for our church here in this place, in this school, in Manassas in 2023. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do through each one of us. And the final thing I want to encourage us to do is how Peter finishes this section. He says in verse 11, In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be belong glory and dominion forever and ever. If we serve one another, if we love one another, we are glorifying Jesus. Serving each other is an act of worship. Worship is not just singing and raising your hands and, and, and doing this. That's not just worship. That's just worshiping through singing. But when we serve each other, when we serve our church, when we serve our brothers and sisters, we are also worshiping God. And we're glorifying God through his son, Jesus Christ. Because only to him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever and ever. We don't do it for our own glory. We don't do it because we deserve it or because people uh, need to see how good I am. No, we do it for the glory of the one who gave us those gifts. We do it for the glory of God. So I want to invite us all to sacrificially serve each other as we serve God and give Him the glory. And we're gonna, uh, I'm going to ask you to please stand up and we're going to take communion. And today we're going to do communion a little different in the sense that I'm going to ask you to uh, take a little bit longer to come forward if you participate in communion. And today I'm going to ask you to take some time to pray and to reflect on how you can better love our church and, and the people in it, how you can better serve our church as a response to the gospel. And as we remember how Jesus loved us and how he gave his life for us, and how his body was beaten and his blood was shed for us. As we remember these things, I want all of us to consider how can we joyfully and sacrificially do the same for each other. So don't rush to come forward and take communion. Take, take some time to pray and ask God, how can I utilize the gifts you've given me for the benefit of our church in our community. What, ask yourself, what, is, what part do I play in this local, local body? So with that, if you're a believer, you can come forward after you consider this and participate in communion. If you're not a believer, I would like to invite you to uh, come to Jesus, repent from your sins, turn to the only help, the only real help that we have in this earth in Jesus and give, you, give your life to him. But if you decide not to do it, I'm going to ask you not to participate because this is a public proclamation of your faith in Christ. So let us pray and then take communion. Dear God, I thank you for the benefit and the blessing that we have in serving each other and glorifying you through doing that. Lord, I pray today that you will guide us as a church, as a family, to do this well, to do what you did to give our lives for each other in order that you will be glorified. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for loving us, and I pray that today you, through your Spirit, will move us in the right direction 
being reminded that you are coming soon, that that is our hope. Help us love each other earnestly. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.